Yeah. Way to go, Jack. Thanks. I got sweaty. Like Jack said, he actually wrote that song. And Jack is actually also very famous. Um, that song is a big hit in Canada. No joke. The song has been played on Canadian radio. Um, and Jack's song was sandwiched between a Waylon Jennings song and T-Swift. So Jack literally is the hottest thing since Justin Bieber, uh, maybe Shania Twain. So, I mean, this guy might become too big for our church. So, but Jack's a star. Um, yeah. Um, there's a big football game today, apparently. Two big football games. Um, there's... Or yesterday, yep. Okay. So we have a divided church. I like that. Um, well, divided sports fans church. I, I'm just going to stop uh, before I say something. Um, but welcome to Crosspoint. We're glad you're here. There we go. Texas County Line on Spotify. Will you guys stand with us? Let's pray real quick. Father, we thank you that we're able to come to your house today and we're able to worship you and hear from you this morning. I just pray, God, that you prepare, for, prepare our hearts for your word, God, and, and do mighty things like, like only you can do, for it's in your name.
seat. Thanks for singing with us. Thank you. Thank you, band. Uh, I'm going to pray for this church. Father, uh, thank you for bringing everybody here today. Father, I have no idea what Paul's sermon is about today, but I just have this, I have this feeling that there is somebody in this room that's going to need to hear that word. And it, it wouldn't matter what Paul is preaching on today. If it's coming from your word, it's powerful, and there is somebody out there that needs to hear that. And so I just pray that you would bless his sermon. I pray that the, the words coming from him and from this stage this morning would be uh, just so much less of Paul and so much more of you, Father. And I thank you that, that you've brought people here. I, I pray that this would not just be a part of people's weekly routine, uh, that your spirit would be in this room today. You are so powerful and you are so great, God. Amen. All right. So some announcements. First off, uh, we are next door neighbors with the Thomases, and we had like decided to exchange some gifts, but we like couldn't. We lived next door to each other, and just like couldn't make it happen. Like we kept getting home late, or like things would happen, and we couldn't give each other's gifts. So this is like a belated Christmas gift, but I just want to show everybody this. Like David like made this controller, and it's like that song from The Sound of Music where it's like these are a few of my favorite things, and he basically like there's like Tetris and Zelda stuff. It's like all my favorite video game things on one controller. This thing is so cool. If you want to, like, touch this controller and put it in your own hands, come see me, like, after service or during the break, and I will let you feel this because it is awesome, and it's one of the best Christmas presents well thought out I've ever gotten. So, anyway, uh, I have the stage, so I can do stuff like this and just talk about what I want to talk about. <laughs> all right, so we do have some announcements in all seriousness. Uh, Allie Yulehorn's baby shower is this Saturday at 2 p.m., yeah, man, she's still pregnant. It's pretty cool. Uh, so that number up there, Jessica Hess, uh, is to RSVP if you're late to that game or just, you know, maybe go holler at Allie herself. She can probably give you the uh, details of that. Saturday, 2 p.m. Allie doesn't know the details. It's a secret. She doesn't even know that she's getting her baby shower. Uh, okay. So uh, also Ashley and uh, Chelsea have some of the details on that as well. We are going to have a business meeting on Sunday, uh, the 31st, after church. So if you call Crosspoint Home, uh, are a member of this church, we're going to update you on some financials and some of the behind-the-curtain, the gear-turning, inner workings of what's going on at our church. So be aware of that. Business meeting, Sunday, the 31st, after service. Uh, just like what uh, happens is going to be happening on a regular basis now, there will be a youth meeting at, here at the church uh, from 5 to 6 p.m. Sunday evenings. Clay, raise your hand. Clay's the youth guy. So 5 to 6 p.m. Sunday. So if you are a youth, my mom used to make fun of me because I always thought it was youth. Uh, when I was a youth, that's what I used to say. But I learned later it's youth. Uh, 5 to 6 p.m. We have also resumed the gathering, which meets Wednesday nights at 6.30. Uh, so our church is pretty much like in full, other than wearing masks, we're like in full swing with most of our stuff. So uh, we hope that if you were coming before, that you will uh, come again. If you haven't been to the gathering, now is a really good time to jump in because we're not in the middle of a series or anything like that. So it's right here at the church at... 6.30 p.m. We're not eating at this point because of all the COVID stuff. We used to share a meal, but um, we hope to see you 
at 6.30 p.m. on Wednesday night. Um, Phil and Jessica had their baby. That is cool. Very, very cool. Uh, very happy for them. There is a meal train being started. It's on our Facebook page. We uh, may post it again, but I think it's close to the top of the feed. If you don't have Facebook or you otherwise need the link to the Sousa meal train, let me know, uh, and I would be happy to get you in on that. Um, when Chelsea and I and Ava started, first starting, uh, started to come to the point, uh, we were thinking like, okay, is this the church for us? Is this where we want to stay? And of course, like the people that you interact with on those first kind of few Sundays is kind of really important to gauge whether or not you want to make this your church home. And one of the people that really made an impact on us in those first days was Deb Heberlin. Uh, and especially with the way that she treated Ava and was just very warm, very welcoming. Uh, some of you may know, some of you may not know, but uh, Deb has been uh, battling cancer and was not able to come to church for a large portion of last year. There is a GoFundMe page uh, that one of her relatives has set up. I believe it's her daughter. Uh, We're going to post that back up at the top of our Facebook feed uh, to contribute to some of her medical expenses. And uh, if in the offering box back there, uh, if you donate and you put Deb in the line there, the church is going to match up to $2,000 for anything uh, given to Deb to go towards her medical expenses. So if, and we're doing that till the end of January. So if you need any other information on that or how to get your funds to us, to us or anything about the matching, whatever, uh, come see me. You can talk to Paul. Also, you can talk to Joy, who does uh, kind of all of our money intake stuff. So we want to try uh, Deb. I'm speaking from personal experience here. The Heberlins and Deb have been a humongous blessing to this church. They have been coming to Crosspoint for a very long time uh, and have been one of the most impactful people from our church. And so uh, this is what church community is all about, that when one of your members is struggling or needs something, she would never ask for help in a million years. She's probably mad at me right now and probably staring a hole through my head uh, on the church because I'm embarrassing her. Uh, but this is what brothers and sisters in Christ do when there is a need that needs to be met. So uh, we are definitely going to step up and do that for her because she's a huge blessing to us. Uh, the last thing, the uh, kids area is setting something up. So if, if you're part of the kids area and you want to come up on stage, uh, Ava's going to talk a little bit about why all of these flyers are all around uh, the church. What's going on? What are you guys doing, Ava? So we are doing a hygiene drive in the kids area. And so if you have any stuff that you can donate to people that don't have much money and that need if you can drop it off at the there's a black bucket back there in the corner and so we put up signs for that and so if you want to donate some hygiene stuff you can that's awesome and this was all initiated by them i mean this was a hundred percent their idea this isn't something that chelsea or anybody else set up so uh, we're going to be collecting those at least through the end of the month, uh, if not longer. And Huh? Through February. It's longer. Uh, we're going to be collecting those through February, and they will ultimately go to people helping people. So thank you guys for setting this up. And with that said, now it's time for a five-minute connection break. The kiddos will go back to the kids' area. Say hi to somebody you know. Say hi to somebody you don't know. Three, two, one, go. Hey, look, you guys ready for the unveiling? Playoff stash. That's right. My, I don't know if you guys know or not, but my wife is super pumped. Uh, it's pretty much guarantees that Patrick Mahomes is going to throw 
eight touchdowns today and 3,000 yards. So stay tuned to that game because it's going to be ready to roll. Uh, we are continuing our series. We are in week three of Affected, looking at Colossians and Paul's letter to the Colossian church. And today we talk about substance over style. You know, when we're younger and a lot less mature, and I'm talking anywhere from middle school age to sometimes our first years in college, uh, we care an awful lot more about appearance, right? Like we want to date the cutest girl or the cutest guy. We only want to wear name brands. I don't want to get caught dead in like uh, some Walmart shoes or something. And, and um, uh, we always want to look our best. Like we can't be anywhere without looking our best. As you get a little older, your taste changes a little bit, but you want the car and the house to be perfect. And and the social media highlight reel that you put out is always like the best of the very best. Then, if you're lucky, you get to a point where you mature, uh, or oftentimes goes hand in hand, you get into a serious long-term relationship, and you get to the point where you realize that substance is way more important than style. Who cares how they look if they're a giant jerk, right? No one, no one likes a jerk. You find something at Walmart that's comfortable and fits you well and make you feel good, and you will save yourself the money all the time, every single time. You'll leave the house in sweatpants and a stained hoodie and uh, house shoes just because you don't care. Um, you need a reliable car only to get you to A and B and, and you'll drive zombie car 98 Toyota Avalo through wind, rain, and flood. I'm pretty sure that thing would turn into a boat if I just drove it onto Table Rock, no joke. Um, you take social media for what it is. In short, you realize that Life is way more than how things look, how things look. In our passage today, Paul addresses the church of Colossians and teaches us that as Christians, it is way more important for us to be people of substance rather than people of style. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 16 through 23. Let's go ahead and read those now. It says, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They're puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They've lost connection with the head from whom the whole world, uh, sorry, they have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, wanted to say sinews all week, just want to say, but it's sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ, this is verse 20, with the, since you died with Christ to the elemental, element, elemental, I almost said elementual, elemental. Spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to this world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch these rules, which have to do with such things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. What Paul is letting the believers in the church at Colossae know is, I don't know what I just said there either, don't let your confidence of who you are in Christ be shaken by the judgment of others. I'll say that again. What Paul is wanting the believers to understand, what he's wanting to, 
to fortify for them is that they need to be confident in who Christ is. Don't let your confidence of who you are in Christ be shaken by the judgment of others. Verse 16, 17, I'm just reading real quickly again. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. See, what Paul's doing here is he's continuing to rail against subjecting believers to legalistic rule. Stop letting people change your convictions and the way that you live your life because you aren't living the way that they want you to, because you aren't checking their boxes both inside and outside of the church. It's okay to change the way that you've always done things if God is leading you to do so. It's also okay to keep things the way that you've always done things if God is leading you to do so. But we shouldn't make these decisions on a whim or based on pressure from an outside source. It's all about what God is calling us to do. Paul is telling the believers in the Colossian church that they aren't subject to the old law. It doesn't matter what you drink. It doesn't matter what you eat or about the ceremonies that you go through. I would add for this day and age, it doesn't matter what you wear to church, right? Hey, cover most of your skin from your neck to your knees and we'll be fine, right? You want to wear pajama pants and a hoodie? We'll let you in the door. I don't care. And we shouldn't necessarily care about that. Because it's not about just dressing up because that's what we do for church. And we'll talk about why a little bit later. It doesn't matter which translation of the Bible that you use. Clay and I were talking about this week, like we've both been through an interview process for a church in the past where they want to know what translation of the Bible you use. Really early on uh, in my career, it was was a smaller church in the Springfield area, a very small kind of country church. And they asked me, one of the questions they asked me is, well, what translation do you preach from? I said, well, I normally preach from the NIV because I think it's pretty easy to understand for most people. And he said, well, we are a King James only church. Is that going to be a problem for you? And I said, it's only a problem because it's a problem for you, right? Like stuff like that, not important, not what I like to call eternally important. The ratio of hymns to worship songs that you sing, we fail there, just so you know, because we usually sing like zero hymns or the hymns that we kind of do sing are molded together in a worshipy type style. But man, I've gone to churches before where like somebody's like, the, the, the song leader's like, okay, we're going to throw one in. And like, here comes the worship song and people are just like, we're leaving. Like, I can't believe. You sinner. Bill Gaither didn't write that, right? And people, people who misunderstand the freedom that is found in Christ will judge you falsely on superficial things. Did you see what Karen, uh, Karen's the name for the year and the, who knows when it'll die. Did you see what, what Karen wore to church today? I couldn't believe it. I shouldn't say such things. Stop laughing, Amanda. I can't hold it in. Right? Did, could you believe that they sang that song at church today? He read the ESV and I couldn't even understand it. Bless his heart. Right? Like, like what, is, what is happening? And, and what Paul's saying here is, hey, look, it, it may look religious, but if Jesus isn't in it, if Jesus isn't the motivation for why you're doing it, then that's what we need to avoid. 
And he goes on to say, don't let people do this. He's not saying like go and attack people, right? We, we don't need to like fight back. It's more of a just shake the dust off your sandals type of thing, right? Everybody know what I'm saying when I say that? He told the apostles, hey, when you go out, if, if you're not accepted well, just shake the dust off your sandals and move on to the next town. When people judge you falsely over superficial things, over things that don't eternally matter, be confident in who you are in Christ. And don't let their misjudgment and their wrong attitude change what you are doing for the Lord. Just move on. Cling to the truth and keep moving. The mistake, the mistake that is made with legalism and those that battle with it, I want you to hear me on this because we all struggle with this. I think it's important. I, I'm 30, almost 31 years old. I've been a pastor for a lot of that time in my life and I still struggle with legalism. We're feeling like I have to just check all the boxes and do all the right things. But the struggle that we have, the mistake that we make for those of us that sometimes struggle with legalism is that we equate ceremony with morality, right? Ceremony with morality, and they're two separate things, completely different. That if I somehow read my Bible more, then I'm going to be more moral. And if we're reading our Bible because we are desiring the Lord, that honestly is going to be the outcome. But if we're just reading the Bible to check our box, all we did was open a book with words and pages that really isn't going to do much for us, right? I mean, you can read any book, and if you're not really paying attention or desiring to learn from that or to understand the meaning, it's not really going to change you. And so we look at this and we say, well, you know, following this set of rules, performing this task, it's going to make me holy. But Paul is saying here to the believers, not so fast. The law was just a shadow of the holiness that would be found in the Messiah who is Jesus Christ. The law is just a tiny shadow. Hebrews 10.1 says the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. Those realities, guys, are found in Jesus. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. It's only Jesus that can do that. It's only Jesus that can do that. The law is literally just a shadow of the holiness found in Jesus. It was supposed to hold us, be a placeholder until Jesus came, right? And then Paul moves on to verse 18 in our passage in chapter 2. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. For such a person also gets into great detail about what they've seen. They're puffed up with idle notions about their unspiritual mind. In verse 18, Paul gets really specific about letting false teachers affect your view of reality. If you're like me, you kind of find this verse a little wordy and maybe confusing. I've had to read it a whole bunch of times. But what he's answering here is the teaching that self-denial would somehow lead you to holiness. The false humility, right? Being humble, being low of stature, not partaking in things, not eating certain foods because that act alone is what makes me holy. And Paul is saying that no, that act alone is empty. Living in such a way that, that denied themselves their wants and needs would elevate them to wisdom. That was the thought. And we've talked about earlier, remember how wisdom took the place of Christ. It was wisdom that was the creator of the world. It was wisdom that they were chasing after in this church. It was knowledge. 
And with that, being elevated to wisdom, it would bring you happiness and holiness. And it was leading people to worship a false God by giving them a false view of who God is. And these teachings, they were based on the visions that they had. Their own puffed up notion of how intelligent and smart and wonderful that they were. And guys, the scariest of false teachings are the ones that seem biblically possible. That are centered or at least seem to be centered around Christ. The ones that have just enough Jesus in them that they lead people down the wrong path. And this is the absolute worst thing that can happen. And we battle two things in the church today. And not just two things, but two things that are so prevalent that they, they lead people to worship a false God because they give them a false view of who God is. The first is the prosperity gospel, this idea that, that God just wants to be your genie and give you all the things that you want. And he's going to give you a raise at work and the job that you want and the big fancy house and the wonderful car. And God will never speak out against you. And he loves you so much. And he just wants to build you up and build you up. And nothing bad will ever happen because God only does good. God will only allow good to happen to you. And that's not true because there's sin in this world and God cannot be conjoined with sin. And so bad things will happen. And yes, sometimes God will bless you in those ways, but there's no guarantee of it. God's concern is not that you live in some elevated status here on earth, but that you be elevated in your status so that you can live in heaven. That was good. I didn't even have that written down. Thank you, Lord. But hear it and understand it and know that it's good. The other thing is the love only gospel, right? Love wins. In the end, God loves us so much and Jesus loves us so much that it doesn't really matter how you live your life. You can profess to know Jesus and be a Christian and love Jesus and then literally live according to any teaching that, teaching that makes you feel good. And we see it all over the place. And we have biblical teachers that have millions of followers on Twitter and all the other stupid things that we have in the world. And they teach this and people believe it. And then they go out and they preach it because it makes them feel, oh, so incredibly good. And it all sounds good to us and it claims to have God at the center and so we'll fall for a false doctrine. But Paul tells us about these teachers in verse 19, they've lost connection with the head from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as God causes it to grow. If anyone would teach you to follow a shadow of Christ, to see the law above Christ, then you need to know that they are not connected to Christ at all. These are Paul's words. As Paul puts it, they're cut off from the head and the body cannot grow and it cannot function without a brain. And the church will not grow and will not function if God is not firmly at the head of it. John 15, 1 through 5, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. 
Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. All this does is further confirm what we covered last week, that life is only found in Christ. True life and true spirituality and true holiness doesn't come from a compliance with the rules, but a connection to the giver of life. We have to understand that. We have to firmly grasp that. And we need to start living life in that manner and in that way. Not just looking at our relationship with God as a list of tasks that we have to check off one by one. That was the way of old. That's how the Pharisees lived their life. And they lost connection with the Father because it became all about their ritual and the way that they were supposed to do things. And we can fall into this very same thing ourselves. I've got to read my Bible three times a week and I've got to pray four times a day and I've got to hop on a pogo stick and go to church in a three-piece tuxedo shirt. And I've got to follow all these awesome rules because these rules are what are going to make me holy. Not God, not Jesus. And it's all empty and it's all done in vain. Verse 20 and 21 says, since you died with Christ to the elemental I can't say that word today. Elemental spiritual forces of this world. Why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based merely on human commands and teachings. We have freedom in Christ. Absolute, guaranteed Freedom in Christ from the law of old. From the, the, the have to of having to offer the same sacrifices year after year for the sins that we continually commit. We have freedom in Christ, but we still cling to our comfort zone. And it's what was happening in the church that Paul was writing to. Paul's saying you are free from all these things. Christ died so that you could be free from all these things and yet you're still clinging to these rules. Just like last week how we talked about they were clinging to the act of circumcision. Circumcision. You're clinging to all these things as if they're what's going to make you holy, as if they're what's going to connect you to God. And it's none of those things. It's just Jesus. It's just Jesus. Listen and obey to the teachings of Jesus. Follow the will of the Father. That's all that you need to do. Understand that. But we cling to our comfort zone because we like to check the boxes. It makes us feel good. It makes us feel good. It's why legalism is so easy. You know, we're all impregnated with the sin of pride. From the moment that Eve took the bite of that apple, it was pride that caused the fall. And it's pride that causes our fall here because we like to earn things. Anybody like that? I don't want to be given anything. You ever play a board game with my wife? If she's winning at some point, she'll always look at me every time we play. I can't think of one time she hasn't done this. Or she's, are you taking it easy on me? No, nope, you're just winning, but thanks for making me feel worse. Right? 
Like, every single time we play a game, she wants to know that she's not being given something to you, right? We'll play one-on-one basketball. It's like Shaquille O'Neal versus a gnat. And she'll be like, are you taking it easy on me? No, can't say that I am, right? Because she doesn't want to be given anything. And we're all like that. None of us want to be given anything. We want to earn it. We want to earn it. We get a promotion at work. We want to know that we earned it. And when we feel like we've earned it, we want to raise. We like checking our boxes. We don't like handouts. And so it's hard for us to accept grace, and it's hard for us to accept this freedom that Jesus has already won for us. But instead, you know what we're going to do? We're going to eat the right things, and we're going to act the right way, and we'll dress the right way, and we will refrain from anything that anyone else might deem unsatisfactory because maybe we won't check a box. And this is figuratively or literally. And it all becomes about style and not substance. Well, this is the way we do church. Well, this is the way I used to do it. It doesn't matter. What is Jesus calling you to do today? It becomes all about how things look. You know, asceticism, the idea that really looks are everything, arises from guilt. It arises from guilt. We're failing. We feel bad about it. So we're going to look as good as possible because as long as nobody knows that I'm failing, it's almost like I'm not. And so I may have no connection to the Father right now. I may be in the deepest, darkest struggle I've ever been with my faith. I may be in the valley and it may feel like somebody's heaping just piles of dirt on top of me. But if I can make it look good enough, no one will know that I'm hurting. And if I can make it look good enough, then maybe it just won't be so. But that's not what life is about. We may look good, but our spirit remains unchanged. Verse 22 and 23, these rules, which have to do with things that are destined to perish with use, And based on merely human commands and teachings, such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom. They appear to be wise with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body. But they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. They don't keep you from sinning. They don't keep you from sinning. They're harming themselves, but not gaining any spiritual nourishment. At the end of the day, what is our motivation? What is our why? Why do you worship? Why do you come to church? Why do you have a relationship with God? Why do you read your Bible? Why do you pray? Why do you adhere to the church's suggestions on how you should live your life. Well, I don't want to go to hell. You know what? That is a lot different than I want to know Jesus. I want you to hear me on that. I want you guys to all hear me on that. I don't want to go to hell. It's an understandable motivation. 
but it is a whole lot different than I want to know Jesus. I want to be in a relationship with Jesus. I want to follow the will of the Father. It's a lot different. We've got to figure out what our motivation is because if our main motivation is I don't want to go to hell, then we are going to fall into legalism time and time and time again. But we will focus so much more on substance over style when our motivation is a desire to know Jesus. Let's pray. God, I come to you right now. I thank you for this day and for your word and the encouragement that it's brought me this week. And hopefully, Lord, what people are feeling now today is encouraged and, and, and not browbeaten and, and not trodden upon. But God, I, I want them to experience the freedom that you have offered each and every single one of us. I want them to know what it is to not be tied down by rule and regulation, but to experience the love and the fullness of Christ. To live a life that is just absolutely 100% committed to being a follower of the will of God. Give us a desire for these things that help us reading our Bibles and diving into Scripture and prayer because we want to know Jesus and not just because we're scared to go to hell. Help us to be a representation of who God truly is to our world. That Christ didn't die so that all of their wildest dreams could come true. And that while Christ died because he loves us, that doesn't mean that we can live life however we want. Help us to show the world that Jesus isn't Westboro on the corner of the street yelling, at people that they're going to go to hell. And that God isn't storming the Capitol. But what he is doing is knocking at the door, ready to tear down the barrier that's between us and him. If only we will desire him more. If only we will seek to have a relationship with Him. This is what we want, not just for ourselves, but for the world around us. To know the truth and the love of the real God. We ask for these things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Stand now with us and let's worship. If you need to pray with me, I will be back in that back corner. Allie's here. Allie, will you pray? She's right there. She'll pray with you if you'd like to pray. Uh, grab anybody and everybody. Um, otherwise, 
Let's just stand and worship God right now.
Your love has ravished my heart and taken me over, taken me over. And all I want is to be with you forever, with you forever. Pull me a little closer Take 
now is the time that we give our tithes and offerings. You know, they'd always give uh, the first 10% of their harvest to God. Right? It was a way of saying thank you for blessing what you, you've given me and, and, and blessing our harvest. And so the first 10% of our harvest, our first fruits, they go to you. That's why we tithe. It's our first 10% to tell God, thank you for blessing us and giving us what you've provided us with. And then I've always been taught that anything you give above and beyond that, that's an offering. We have an opportunity right now to tithe to our Lord, not because it's a box that we check, but because we have been blessed enough to do so. And it's a small token of our love and surrender back to him. We have some really great opportunities right now for our church to give offerings as well. Obviously, Jake already told you about Deb's situation, and I just want to kind of second that. You know, when I first came to Crosspoint, we were just in like this bay right here. We didn't have that one. Uh, maybe they had the kids' area. I'm not sure, but I remember just kind of being in like a singular room. And the first person that came up and talked to me was Deb. And you know what she told me? She, I sh- held out my hand. I said, hi, I'm Paul. She goes, I'm a hugger. And she reached in and she hugged me. And then Kent was standing right behind her and he laughed, he chuckled a little bit and he goes, she's a talker too. <laughs> and she said, shut up, Ken. Uh, and we all kind of laughed a little bit together, but I will never, ever forget that. And like Jake said, this is a time that we get to show our sister some love right now. And so that's one way that we can give an offering to the Lord. Another way right now is Phil and Jess, because you know they have their baby and we set up a meal train for them and we don't have... Uh, every single slot filled right now. And so if that's something that you could do uh, to, to make a meal and deliver it to them to just kind of make their uh, re-entry into their home with their new little one a little bit easier, please do so. We'll post that link up to the top of our Facebook page so that you can see it. And if you have questions about it, you can ask Caitlin. But in this time, in this time, we give, again, not because we're checking a box, but because we find it as a joyful act of love for our God. And so let's just pray over that that offering right now. God, we come to you right now. We thank you for the tithes and the offerings that we'll be pouring in. We have a church that has a giver's heart and they give and they give and they give and they continue to give. And it's one of the reasons why I love being the pastor of Crosspoint so much because I know it's not something I've done and it's not even necessarily something that they've done, but it's a blessing that you have given them and from their blessing, they seek to bless others. And I'm so appreciative of that heart that they have. And as they give their tithes and they give their offerings, God, I just want to come to you right now and ask that you give us wisdom and discernment on how we could best use those funds. Because at the end of the day, what we really want as a church is to further your kingdom, to grow the the brotherhood and the sisterhood of Christ. And so we ask for your blessing in this time. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
great week. We'll see you next week.